Hey everyone, welcome to the Industry Show. I'm your host Nitin Bajaj, and joining me today is Ravi Bhagwan. Ravi, welcome on the show. Thanks so much, Nitin, for having me. This sounds uh, uh, like a really good idea, and I'm excited to be here today. Pleasure is all ours. So let's get started with who is Ravi. Ha. So you know what I've found is that uh, the older one gets, the more contemplative they've become about. Uh, who they are, which is kind of ironic if you think about it, right? So you never think about who you really are when you're like 26 or 30, but uh, when you were up in my age, you're always thinking about who am I really, right? So uh, I'll answer that in a couple of ways. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when I was uh, young, I always thought about myself as a problem solver, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but now um, with a little bit more maturity, um, you know, I think of myself as a trusted advisor. Uh, and in a lot of ways, um, you know, being a problem solver has uh, led to my being a trusted advisor. And I'll sort mm-hmm. of explain that a little bit. So if you uh, look at my, my education, um, you know, it's very analytical. I went to IIT and, and uh, you know, got my, my bachelor's degree there. I have a master's degree here from the U.S. And I also got a business degree from uh, the University of Chicago Booth School, mm-hmm. uh, which is a very analytical uh, program. And, and that sort of laid the foundation of, uh, of my, uh, what I'd like to think about uh, as strong um, problem solving skills, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so when I went into investment banking, I took those skills and I applied them in the field of investment banking. And, um, and over the years, um, you know, I sort of learned the art of getting good outcomes in transactions for my clients. Um, and um, it's, I call it an art more than a science because you know, getting a good deal done for your client is really a mix of a lot of soft skills in addition to some hard ones. You know, some, of, uh, some of the hard ones are like you know, industry experience and just knowing the M&A process and things like that. Uh, but when you think about really what gets a deal done, uh, you know, it's a mix of uh, negotiating skills, it's psychology almost, mm-hmm. psychology r- with respect to your client, as well as, you know, counterparty, uh, and a whole lot of counseling, um, you know, and a, a lot of the clients are sort of companies are uh, haven't done this before. Right. Uh, and this is sort of their first experience with the transactions. There's a lot of counseling that's involved at all levels. Um, and, and as you sort of get good at it, you know, your clients place a really huge trust in you to get the optimal outcome for them. Uh, and so you sort of become their, uh, their trusted advisor, mm-hmm. uh, the go-to guy uh, to guide them through what is typically sort of a life-changing event for them. You know, typically the transactions, you know, involves, you know, selling off a company that they have built or raising a lot of capital. And that, that really ends up being a life-changing event for them. Uh, so, so, uh, so right now I sort of see myself as a trusted advisor, having evolved from a problem solver, uh, if you will. Um, now, on the personal front, uh, it's kind of interesting because you know, uh, you know I have a wonderful wife and a son in high school, uh, and I like to be the problem solver at, uh, at home, uh, right? And uh, I try to do that as, as best I can, uh, but I've. The fact remains that I willingly ceded the role of, of a trusted advisor to my wife, <laughs> you know, which has served me really well over 20 years of, of marriage. So, you know, I leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> Wise words, right? Learn from experience. That's right, exactly. 
So Ravi, you, you've had an adventure, you know, going from the problem solver to a trusted advisor. And uh, as you've gone through this journey and you've taken a lot of people along with you, you've, you've come to learn and share a lot of these uh, journeys, but also you've been able to inspire and make things happen for, for several people around. Uh, tell us a little more about Allied Advisors, what do you do, and uh, who's your ideal customer? Yeah, you know, great questions, right? So uh, if you think about, uh, you know, what I do day to day, you know, I, I like to sort of think about, you know, uh, what I'm going through right now in my current phase of life as more than just earning a paycheck, right? Um, uh, it should bring the kind of excitement that makes you wake up early in the morning and go to bed late at night. And I'm fortunate that I, I am in that kind of a situation. Uh, and what really excites me is deal making, right? Um, and, and getting great deals done for my client. That's really what my passion is, uh, right? It has been for a while. Uh, so I do uh, advise companies in the technology sector mm -hmm. on mergers, acquisitions, and capital raising. Largely, those are sort of you know uh, you know the, 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 the crux of what I do on a day-to-day -day basis professionally. Um, now I'm part of a advisory group uh, that, you, that you alluded to. It's called Allied Advisors, mm -hmm. uh, and Allied is is based in the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, you know, it's a, it's a young firm, but, uh, you know, we all look upon ourselves as being entrepreneur bankers, and I'll sort of go into that in a little bit. I'm a managing director there at Allied Advisors, so I'm a senior banker uh, who works closely with clients. Um, the ideal client for us uh, is one who is somewhat knowledgeable about the M&A process mm -hmm. um, and, and sort of knows you know, what to expect right. and and is open-minded in working with us to get the best possible outcome. Um, you know, if if uh, if a client goes into, uh, into a process with a lot of, um, you know, biases or with, with expectations around, you know, you know, how things, you know, may pan out and things like that, um, that tends to, to, to um, skew the process a little bit. Uh, we always uh, endeavor to get a client the best outcome, um, and and in in more and more often than not, we like to get an outcome that's even better than what the client expected. Um, so for us, you know, a good client is one who uh, is in the middle market. Um, you know, typically they have um, you know the valuation is less than let's say two hundred million dollars in revenue in in, in value. Uh, they are uh, you know the founder led. Uh, uh, and bootstrapped or they're funded by a venture capital uh, firm or a private equity firm. And it's, it's, a, it's a company that you know, has developed a really good product or, or a, a set of services uh, and they're growing nicely uh, and they're hitting their numbers. Mm -hmm. and, and hitting their numbers is actually critical uh, in, in, in getting a deal done uh, while one is going through a, a transaction process. So I would say that's broadly who we, uh, who we think are, you know, make good clients for us. Makes a lot of sense. And, uh, you know, to kind of uh, think about it from a different perspective, you're looking at people that are open-ended because a lot of what you do tends to be creative deal-making. It's not a cookie cutter that you come in and, and these things are going to happen. You have to get creative with what the opportunity is, where the market is today, what the sentiment is, 
so you can come up with something that's a win-win across the board. That's exactly right. And, and it's also something as simple as who your uh, buyer is going to be, right? Yeah. So um, if you think about it, um, you know, there are some obvious low-hanging fruit type mm-hmm. buyers for any business. Um, and, and then there are these outliers, the unexpected buyers, uh, who the, our client may have never thought of, you mm-hmm. know, getting into, into an M&A process, for example. And, and for us, uh, it's satisfying to go well beyond these right. low-hanging fruit, the obvious buyers, and bring to the table these you know, outlier buyers and non-obvious uh, ones who more often than not end up paying a really good premium right. because they want to be in that space and they're willing to pay for it. Right. Right. Uh, so if, if it's already a software company that's in the sa- exactly the same space, you know, then they may look upon our client as saying, yeah, you know, it's kind of interesting, but, you know, integration may be too hard. This is not complimentary to us, uh, you know, and so on and so forth. So there could be any number of reasons why a company in that exact space may, may not look upon our client favorably. But if there's somebody outside um, that particular space and looking to get in, they're more likely to pay a premium. So, you know, M&A is, is full of surprises and we like to make yeah. those things happen. I think it's a lot about the mindset of the of the buyer, right? Where it's, in the first example, it's more incremental to what they do. Whereas in the other case, it's more strategic and hence the numbers can shift a little bit to the right because like you said, they're strategically interested in getting in. So the number itself, they're, they're ready to work on it a little bit. It's transformational for the buyer, right? And right. and if it's transformational, then they're more likely to pay, you know, a good valuation. And that's where your team and, and your skills and experience and connections in the network in this space comes into play. That's exactly right. Our uh, relationship with the buyers, uh, not just in one particular sector, but across multiple sectors within technology, you know, we bring that to bear and and are able to build a compelling thesis for a client with these buyers, which usually gets them to the table. Tell us a little more about, you know, just, just the size and scale of your operations, what geographies you serve. You talked about, you know, you're mostly in tech and especially with middleware companies. Give us some specifics around so people have a better sense for you know, when they should reach out to you? No, yeah, sure, absolutely. So another great question and very helpful in terms of how we position ourselves, right? So uh, so Allen Advisors is um, is an advisory firm that is about three years old. It was founded by my partner, Gaurav Basain. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gaurav and I actually worked together at a prior firm and we sort of stayed in touch. And uh, when he founded uh, Allen Advisors, he invited me to come in as a partner, uh, which I did about... Uh, year and a half uh, ago and uh, and you know in terms of sort of our reach and um, and mm-hmm. coverage and so on uh, you know we have uh, you know three senior bankers today you know Gaurav in the barrier you know me in Southern California and then we have a third partner who's actually based in Israel mm-hmm. um, and and to us that's really interesting because that creates for us the opportunity to do a lot of cross-border deals between uh, the US and Europe and elsewhere Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he's been very helpful in terms of, uh, you know, those kind of transactions. Uh, we do have a junior team that, uh, that supports us, uh, an excellent junior team, and they do some really great work uh, and the work, uh, you know, and, and, and our clients invariably, almost in every transaction, 
compliment us on the quality of our materials, our deliverables, um, you know, in terms of, you know, uh, the initial documents, the marketing documents that go out. So, you know, they're really appreciative of the quality um, of work uh, coming out of our juniors. Uh, and in terms of sort of our focus area, if you will, you know, as I mentioned before, uh, we operate in the uh, classic middle market. Mm -hmm. And what that means is um, it's typically transaction values less than $200 million in, right? So, uh, you know, we, we could, you know, easily, you know, uh, be looking at deals that are, you know, 50 to $100 million as sort of, you know, a sweet spot. Um, you know, we've done deals smaller than that, mm -hmm. and we've done deals a lot larger than that. But I would say that on average, we probably come out in the 50 to $100 million range in terms of the enterprise value of that transaction. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. And I'll add a couple of other things there as well, sort of important to, to, to place in context. Um, both Gaurav and I uh, have been engineers in the past. And so, you know, I think I mentioned that uh, and I have two engineering degrees and, and Gaurav himself uh, almost got a PhD from UCLA. Um, so we bring um, not just the financial skills, the deal-making skills to the table, but uh, we also have, uh, in most cases, a pretty solid understanding of the underlying technology of our clients. And I think that's important because we are able to place it in context. We're able to ask the right questions mm -hmm. uh, of a client uh, to flush certain things out. And we also, uh, you know, obviously uh, are able to articulate the story, um, you know, pretty well, you know, with, uh, with the buyer community. So I think having our engineering de degrees uh, have actually really helped us to become bankers. You can find the, the ideal markets and uh, because you understand the tech behind it and what is being positioned. Uh, Ravi, the, you know, I, I would imagine the market has been pretty active, significant uh, movement and uh, uh, transactions happening. What's in, in this kind of a market, what's the biggest challenge you're facing? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, honestly, investment bankers uh, face challenges in every market, um, <laughs> you know, and it's just, because M&A is such a um, interesting business, mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's every situation is different. Um, I would say we've been uh, pretty fortunate uh, uh, to have had a lot of successful closings. Uh, for example, you know, since the pandemic, uh, we've closed eight deals, wow. and um, and we expect to close another three to four deals by the end of the year. Uh, mm -hmm. And on average, I would say we, you know, we are working on you know eight to ten active deals. Uh, roster. Uh, so we are very busy, obviously, right? And, you know, grace of God or, you know, hard work and blood, sweat and tears, you know, and being able to close deals effectively and getting uh, and getting the reputation as, you know, as good bankers who are able to get deals done. I think you know, that has helped us a lot. And, um, and it also sort of has generated a constant stream of inbound, um, uh, you know, uh, opportunities for us. We hardly ever do any outbound marketing uh, for the firm. You know, a lot of it is inbound. The only outbound that we do is, is we write a lot of articles, mm -hmm. right? Um, and, you know, so that sort of shows how we think about, uh, about certain issues that are relevant to our clients uh, in the M&A business, in the transaction business. And, and that's usually pretty well received because we bring a pretty sort of mature perspective to it. And we do a good pull up analysis and we should reports. Um, you know, for example, I just, you know, uh, uh, I just wrote a report on um, the low code and no code 
mm -hmm. uh, uh, environment right now, which is uh, you know pretty pretty nice trend in the market, and um, that just got uh, published by Sandhill, mm -hmm. uh, and you know, and I'm going to put that on LinkedIn, and you know, people are going to see that as 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 being you know uh, uh, a good article from you know from our firm, uh, you know, that I penned. So um, so things like that help in creating. Uh, so in terms of the challenges, it's it's definitely the differentiation and then everything I sort of I've told you about until now, uh, everything that we do, it's it's all, all about getting that differentiation because the fact is the investment banking industry is very competitive. That is a challenge. Uh, but you know, I like to say that the proof of the winning is in the closing, right? So the more deals you close, the more likely you're going to get these um, get these referrals. You're going to get these uh, other opportunities. It gives us the opportunity to win additional deals. You know, referring back to the deals that we have won. So, um, you know, so, so it, it really sort of it's 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 got a it's a pretty virtuous cycle, if you will. Um, and uh, and and you know, uh, and in terms of sort of um, you know other challenges in the marketplace, I would say that you know having done this for twenty years, Nathan. Uh, I've seen the, the the worst and the best of M and A cycles, right? Uh, the last few years have been, uh, you know, admittedly quite good. You know, it's been very good, right? Uh, with with valuations going up and a lot of activity and a lot of you know sellers in the marketplace and a lot of cash on the balance sheet of of companies for doing acquisitions, um, and and just sort of you know M and A getting more and more mature and and widely accepted as a way to grow you know, companies across all sectors. A new technology is coming to the forefront that uh, motivates companies to, to buy into those technologies as trying to, as opposed to trying to build them. So it's sort of the whole build versus buy uh, thesis right at that point mm -hmm. of time. But we've also seen the worst of m and uh, cycles, which is when the markets are in the dumps and liquidity dries up and uh, uh, CEO confidence diminishes to the point where investments, you know, decrease uh, dramatically. Uh, and we saw that, you know, after the, the mortgage uh, crisis, uh, you know, that was a very, very clear yeah. period for in you know, a good three to four years when M&A, uh, you know, especially the risky ones uh, where, you know, you have to take a little bit of a risk to, to get an acquisition done, you know, those, those just went away. And just the most obvious deals were happening. So, um, you know, with uh, with some luck and good planning, we won't see those kind of bad cycles again. Uh, but right now, uh, you know, things are uh, are in pretty good shape for the M&A market. And you know, this is when we are talking about challenges. What what are you looking at when uh, you see opportunities? Yeah. So uh, for us, you know, as a firm, we are a young firm, uh, but you know. We've been, you know, again, fortunately, very successful yeah. uh, over the last several months. For us, the opportunity is to grow in a couple of different ways, right? Certainly, to uh, grow horizontally, which is increase the size of the team, and which means that we're doing more deals in a given year with with more bankers, uh, and that just adds scale. It creates synergies between the bankers and so on and so forth, right? So, I think that's sort of the horizontal growth. Uh, we're also sort of looking more and more at uh, vertical growth, which is going up market in terms of the size of the deals. And I think we've seen a trend already in the last six months where uh, the average size of a deal has 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 increased. Um, you know, we're getting more uh, 
you know, sort of larger transactions, you know, clients of, you know, larger size, whether it's software or tech-enabled services, whatever the case might be, uh, you know, getting those deals in, into our pipeline. And for us, that's really exciting as well, because, you know, as you know, um, you know, that really gets us on the radar screen, you know, uh, you know pretty clearly. Uh, and so it's both the horizontal and the vertical growth we see as an opportunity. Uh, but again, you know, neither one of those are, are particularly easy because, uh, you know, to add bankers to our platform is uh, is challenging from many aspects because it's tough to find really good people out there, mm -hmm. uh, people who we can who we work with, people who you can trust, people who can actually get deals done effectively. Those are not easy to come by, and and so we have to be very careful and selective about who we bring onto the platform. So it does take time to build the team, um, you know. But I think the vertical uh, growth uh, will put us more and more on the map. Um, as larger middle market bankers going forward, and we are looking forward to that. Yeah, you mentioned luck and fortune as the primary reasons for your success. I think there is one, a lot of hard work, but also a reputation that uh, you and your team have built that continues to one, bring in more business, but also spreads that network where you have these happy customers that want to come back and continue to work with you. So congratulations on that. No, I appreciate that. And you're absolutely right, because if you go to the Allied Advisors website, you'll see a number of uh, testimonials from, from clients. And, uh, and it's, it's probably like you know, three pages long, right? Uh, and great testimonials. I mean, people absolutely love working with our bankers. And that is really the, you know, the, the best uh, compliment uh, that we can get. Uh, and, and that's really what, uh, at the end of the day, is, is our, our best marketing for us. Uh, you know, clients talking really uh, highly of us and what the fact that we went uh, above and beyond, you know, for them to get these deals done. So uh, we live and die by our reputation in the investment banking space. And, and that's what has really created the momentum for us. And, you know, going back to what you said about why you do this kind of comes full circle because this is what energizes, motivates you, and gets you out of the bed and, and want to do this, you know, whether it's 12, 14, 20 hours a day, uh, it's not work, it's the joy of making things yeah. happen. Uh, absolutely, and um, you know, if it were, to, if we were to treat it as a job, you know, and, and you know, click into a computer at uh, 9 a.m. Uh, and click out at 5 p.m., uh, that's not really what, uh, you know, getting stuff done uh, is about. It's uh, doing emails at 6 a.m. or doing conference calls, um, you know, at that time, or, you know, having calls with your clients at, you know, 8 or 9 p.m. at night. I mean, it's really about that fluid nature, uh, you know, uh, and I, to be honest with you, that's been sort of exacerbated by the work from home uh, sure. thing, right? I mean, there's like yeah. this gray area between, you know, work and, and your personal life, you know, with work from home has, has really passed. And, and, and for us, that wasn't very much different from the way we always led our, our lives uh, in investment banking. And, and so, you know, we take pride in the fact that a client can call us at any point of time in a day, whether it's a weekday or a weekend, and we will take that call. We want to make sure that any issues resolved at that point of time. True. Like you said, you know, it's, it's more than business. It's counseling. It's being there for them. And uh, it's, it's almost like being there as a, I don't know what it's even called, a matchmaker, right? Yeah, Where it, it, it's of... almost like, I think there's a there's a word, Italian word, uh, unfortunately used more with a mafia client <laughs> called consigliere. 
I don't know if you're familiar with that right. word, but yes. it's almost like that, right? Yeah. Uh, so you become like the like the trusted uh, advisor, I mean, for lack of a better word, I mean, it is a trusted advisor role at the end right. of the day, consigliere. So true. Ravi, as you look back uh, in the rear view mirror and think about a success story or even a lesson learned, right? Things that you had planned, but it didn't go the way you, you expected it. What's one example that stands out? Yeah, I mean, uh, that's a good question as well. Um, I mean, I guess the success story is, you know, aligning with people um, in certain uh, organizations in the past that have helped my career, um, you know, tremendously and in a very effective way and broadened the, my experience in a lot of ways. Like for example, um, you know, I was, uh, I was part of a group um, in, in New York, um, uh, you know, this was uh, late 2000s and, you know, a little few years after that, that uh, was associated with a really sort of globally minded organization. Uh, it's called Galileo Global Advisors. And, um, and, and the experience that I gained from there was absolutely tremendous uh, from the point of view of being able to do transactions that are cross-border in nature. Mm -hmm. um, being able to uh, travel abroad multiple times a year, particularly to India, getting to know um, a number of international companies uh, in Europe, in India, and elsewhere, uh, you know, being able to build a reputation to be able to um, uh, to guide them and 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 advise them on their cross-border uh, transactions, mm -hmm. uh, right? So that was just a tremendous learning experience, and 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 um, and at that actually laid the foundation for the rest of my career in terms of being able to say that I'm truly a, uh, a global banker. Mm -hmm. I'm not just a US technology banker, but I'm really a global M&A banker. And I think that to me was, uh, was a real sort of success story over, over a few years that experience that I got. Um, in terms of sort of uh, lessons learned, uh, you know, it's, it's, I would say that uh, I've been in a, in a particular situation where it just didn't work out culturally. And and and, um, and to me, that drove home the point of how important it is uh, to be able to spend time uh, with your colleagues uh, and be able to do so uh, and create these um, these favorable dynamics with your colleagues mm -hmm. and a sense of bonding with your colleagues. And if you don't have that in, in an organization, then uh, you just are not going to be successful in that organization. Uh, you know, I had a short stint, um, uh, you know, at an advisory firm that just didn't work out and it just was uh, not a good fit for me. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't quite realize that going into the firm, uh, but when it happened and started to happen, it became so obvious that, uh, you know, I had to be somewhere else and, and, and I had to make a move. Uh, so uh, there are such situations like that, but it's a learning lesson. And as you get older, you just learn uh, to uh, to understand people, to understand culture of, of organizations. And I think, uh, you know, I like to think that that was definitely a learning lesson for me in a lot of ways. True. And now in your position, you're able to bring that to your own organization so other people don't feel that way. That's exactly right. And that, again, goes back to my earlier comment about it's yes. pretty challenging to bring new bankers on yes. because if they're not sort of seeing eye to eye with you, they don't have the same vision, they, you know, they're not a good cultural fit. Uh, and when I say cultural, I don't mean like ethnic or anything. It's just culturally, how do you, you know, uh, run your business? How do you do, you know, uh, spend your time? How do you, um, 
you know, uh, treat your clients? What kind of a reputation do you have? All of that goes into sort of the cultural element of it. These are all soft elements. And, and if that's not a good fit, then it's not going to work. So true. Ravi, let's take this a step further and, uh, you know, get to know how you think, what has come to shape you and, and your beliefs and values. Uh, and the way we do that, as you know, is through a series of one-line life lessons that uh, we would love for you to share with us. So take it away. Yeah. Um, this is a fun one, by the way. So I uh, really like this one. So uh, the one that I uh, really like, that I like, li like to live by is um, the saying that, I don't know who came up with it, but it's a good one. It's, it's called, it says, hope is not a strategy. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I really like it for, because it, it, it applies uh, very much to my business, which is the investment banking business, right? So uh, when we run a process for a client, Mm -hmm. We cannot hope that a transaction will get done for a client, right? Uh, simply by sort of, you know, taking them to market, showing them to a number of buyers. We cannot just hope. Yeah. We have to build a concerted strategy around gaining and sustaining buyer interest and converting that interest into a successful closing, uh, you know, uh, of the deal, right? So there's a great deal of, of strategic thinking and execution of that strategy that needs to get done in these transactions to make them successful. Uh, so hope's not nowhere, is nowhere near quite sufficient. On the other hand, hope can create motivation, hmm. uh, right? And it does. I mean, if you think about it, you know, a lot of people live by hope, right? And, and it motivates them to get out of bed and, and do the things that are required during a day, uh, you know, to, to improve their lives. And, and, and hope's a great thing but it really is not a sufficient condition for achieving success um, in more complex situations, right? You, you need a definitive strategy, mm -hmm. uh, you know, put in place and execute it properly, uh, you know, uh, for a successful outcome. So, so I definitely live by, by that, uh, hope is not a strategy. I'll tell you a second one, mm -hmm. uh, which you also like, which is um, again, a life lesson, you know, some people may disagree with this, um, but this is what I think. So. Perfection is the enemy of progress. Yes. Okay. Um, so, and again, this, this is true both in our personal lives as well as in our professional lives, right? So if you think about it, let's say my, my, my deal-making uh, sort of career, right? There's no such thing as a perfect deal okay. for either party, mm -hmm. okay? Um, you never strive for a perfect deal. What you strive for is uh, a deal where both the parties feel that they've achieved what's most important to them, right? right? But there's all, they've also left something on the table for the other party. That's sort of the win-win the that gets deals done. And, and by no means would, you know, is there, you know, the, the, the description of perfection uh, in that kind of a transaction. And, you know, and, and so perfection is really a utopian paradigm if you think about it, right? It's, you know, it, 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 it's really, something that can you know stall progress mm -hmm. and, and 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 perfectionists can get wrapped up in knots uh, when they really should be focused on progress right and it applies to like a personal life too when you think about it you know just simple you know situations where let's say you're you know helping out of uh, you know a group in terms of you know organizing an event or you know doing whatever that 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 is required to to make an event successful you know, do you go about 
saying, I want every single thing in this event absolutely perfect? Or, or do you say, let's get it to a high standard and, and let's achieve progress, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That, that's really what, what it's about, right? And that all sort of you know, leads me to uh, you know, talking a little bit about the Indian concept of mm-hmm. Jagat. Yes. Right? Yeah. And if you think of what Jagat is, it's, it means it's a quick and a clever way to fix a problem. Mm-hmm. Right? And, um, and, and by no means is Jagat ever about perfection. It's always about progress. Yes. Okay. And, and Jagat is what really has helped so many organizations, so many people get through the chaotic uh, environments and, 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 and uncertainties and all kinds of, of challenges and, and roadblocks uh, in, the, in the daily lives, in the professional lives, in the personal lives. And it's, it's all about progress. And that's really what makes the world go around. So I'll stop there. Um, I love the word regard, uh, and, and, and to me, you know, uh, you know, I'll take progress over perfection any day. True. Love that. And, uh, you know, for a lot of us, Jugard is the way of life, right? It's especially for entrepreneurs. It's, uh, yeah. the hustle is probably the nearest English word, uh, but it doesn't, it doesn't get the, the true meaning of it. Exactly. And especially when, uh, as you rightly said, as entrepreneurs, Juga, I mean, you're a, you know, you're a CEO, you're a CEO, you're a CTO, you're a sales guy, you're the accountant, you're, you're everything. You got to do, you know, uh, you got to do everything and anything that it takes to be successful and move things forward on a daily basis. And, 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 and Juga absolutely captures that spirit. It's, it's a beautiful word. Ravi, thank you for taking the time. We really appreciate having you here. And uh, we would love to keep this conversation going, bring you back on and uh, talk a little more about some of the many deals you, you continue to make. Thank you once again. Appreciate again, Nitin, having me on this forum and I look forward to it.